Merry Christmas, Georgetown Christian. If you guys don't have an orange paper, they're on the tables in the back there. Feel free to hop up and grab one. Did you all ever encounter something where you thought, man, I would love to give to that? I encountered something like that this week. Our fire station down here, uh, Georgetown uh, Fire Protection District Station Number 1. I got to hear the full technical terminology this week. On Thursday, dedicated a baby box. If you've already heard of baby boxes, a bit of a review. Uh, the Safe Haven Baby Box Organization uh, provides an avenue for mothers who have uh, a child, a way to give up their child safely. In the state of Indiana, you can uh, take your child to a hospital. You can take them to a fire department. They both have these big yellow signs that says safe place. And you can turn the child over there, and the child then goes into a hospital if it's not there already, gets checked out, and goes into the foster care system where they are adopted. Georgetown, Indiana put one of those boxes in this Thursday. I got to meet the lady uh, who started Safe Haven Baby Boxes and talk about something you want to give to. Monica shares her story. She says, I'm going to take you back a few years to August of 1972 when a 17-year-old woman is caught in the dark on the side of the road and she's captured. She's beaten and then the man who beat her took advantage of her sexually. He leaves her for dead. She makes it to a hospital and survives. In fact, she doesn't just survive, she builds up the courage to face that same man in trial. He's convicted and he's sent away. After the trial, she finds out she's pregnant with that man's child. She has the baby and the baby's healthy but she doesn't know what to do. So within two hours, she abandons that baby. The baby survives, and the baby is Monica Kelsey. Monica says, that child was me, and now because of what Jesus has done in my life, my terrible story has been redeemed to be a source of life. Isn't that something you just want to give to? But you hear about it at Christmas, and you're like, oh my gosh, Lord, why am I hearing about this at Christmas time? It's already so tight. We're already spending so much on family and friends, and there's another work party. <laughs> We're already spending so much. But you hear that story, and it pulls your heartstrings. Maybe for you, it's like a, a foreign mission, like Haiti Outreach Mission. Leon came and shared about how because of the political unrest in Haiti, those children who were going to school, because Haiti doesn't have a public school system, those children who were enrolled in school at all of these different schools in the whole country of Haiti are now looking for a place to find food. They're not worried about education. They need food. Their parents are out of a job because all of these not-for-profits have pulled out. They can't survive the political unrest it's become too dangerous for Americans like ourselves to stay there and run the organizations. Therefore, organizations like HOM, with whom we partner, they're able to keep running, to keep the school open, to keep, to, in fact, to open a Bible college. So they have this massive need. And all these kids are literally knocking at the gate saying, please let me come to school because they're hungry. 
and it just pulls at your heartstrings, but it's at the same time that you're standing in front of the gift card rack at Kroger thinking, if I just swipe it one more time, it's fuel points, right? It's fuel points, and you're, tr- you're just trying to build up your courage because you already know the truth is, like when Christmas shoes comes on, your heart's going to grow warm, and then you're going to start crying, and then you're over here, and you're going to be buying, and your credit card's stuck in the middle going, please stop, I'm melting. It's a really difficult time of year for those of us who are prone to want to give when we hear a need like that, an opportunity to be like Jesus, to be like God, and in love give of our treasures. So how do Christians return our gift of treasure? How do we return that gift, that money that God has given us everything we have. He's made our very being. He sustains us. How do we then return some of that wisely? So we're going to keep five essentials in mind when we're returning our gift of treasure. If you're following along on your outline, we're on number one, give according to your ability. Some of you may feel like as we get closer to the end of the sermon, there's going to be a plate that passes in front of you. If you see a plate, let me know, because we didn't plan on that. (laughs) Somebody's trying to get some more Christmas money. (laughs) So watch out for that today. There won't be any plate passing. Easy for you to say. There won't be any plate passing today. So I encourage you to just relax and understand that I'm not going to beat you over the head about money. In fact, that's one of the points that Paul makes that we'll see in a second. If you'd like to follow along in your own Bibles, I have a couple places I would love for you to underline or highlight, or whatever it is that you do in your scriptures. And if it's on an app, you can still tap it and highlight it. But we'll have all of our scriptures up here as well. Second Corinthians, Paul is writing. He says, here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Give in proportion to what you have. Verse 12, whatever you give is acceptable if you give eagerly and give according to what you have. Second time he said this. Give according to what you have, not to what you don't have. Verse 13, of course, I don't mean your giving should make life just super easy for others and hard on yourselves I only mean that there should be some equity. Right now, you have plenty, and you can help those who are in need. And later, they'll have plenty, and they can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be kind of equaled out. As the scriptures say, look what Paul is arguing from two things. Scripture, when Paul says that, there's not a Bible. There's a Torah. There's an Old Testament. So when Paul says, as the scriptures say, he's quoting from like that first big chunk of our scriptures there. The Old Testament. The Old Covenant. So it is therefore then, let's just agree together, it is okay then to take Old Testament principles and apply them today, although Christ has fulfilled the law. It is still okay to learn from the wisdom of the Old Testament and allow it to guide our hearts and lives and our behavior. So Paul then continues, he says, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over and those who gathered only a little had enough. Uh, Okay, so for letter A, first provide for your family. Here's what Paul's still writing out of Timothy says. 
But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, it's about to be interactive, Georgetown, get ready. It's about to be interactive. Especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith. Are you ready? This is you guys. And is worse than and what? And unbelief. Are you kidding? This is Paul. He's telling me that if I don't provide for my own family, I'm actually worse than an unbeliever. So letter A is provide for your own stinking family. Don't be giving to the waitress who's a single mom and has three kids who all really want to have a new Nintendo for Christmas, and she's working seven jobs, and your heart is like, oh, Christmas shoes, here you go. Like, if your kids are over here and your electric is going to be turned off, then you have sinned, is what Paul is saying. You're worse than an unbeliever. Don't, don't be that way, Georgetown. But letter B, this is letter B, all right? Letter B, uh, I had teachers that did this, and it drove me insane, so now here I am. <laughs> letter B. Oh, boy, you should be encouraged with all the brain cells you've got up here. Uh, letter B, uh, letter B is, is just give. So Paul still wants us to give. First, take care of our family. Second, give, actually still give. When neighbors in a mission community were annoyed over Paperboy's psychotic loud muffler, they had two choices, call the cops, call the paper. Get arrested, get him fired, end the muffler issue because we love our sleep. Instead, they decided a third way. It sounds like, I mean, I can hear it every morning. It sounds like this guy needs some help. So they took up a collection and they gave him the money to patch the massive hole in his muffler. I might say he might even have got a new muffler. And the noise is solved. But what they found out is that Tyler Anderson, 20-year-old Tyler, had just lost his mom. He couldn't afford to fix his muffler because he's trying to keep the lights on. So the neighborhood took another collection, and they did more than fix his muffler. They helped him get back on his feet, helped him get his GED so that he could do more than deliver newspapers. Friends, stories like that encourage me to open up the wallet, to swipe the card, to hand out the cash. But if we don't first take care of our families, we're worse than an unbeliever. Friends, I don't want you to be worse than an unbeliever. If you catch me being worse than an unbeliever, you need, to, you need to smack me upside the head. We do not want to forget to take care of our family first. First, take care of our family. Then we can give according to our ability after our family is provided for. All right, number two, actual. This is actual number two. This is not like letter B number two. Actual number two. You can not outgive God. You cannot outgive God. And I'm in Malachi. If you're following along in your scriptures, that will be right before Matthew. I'm starting in verse 6. Because I, the Lord, do not change, you descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. Some of you have like hit pause and you're really theologically frustrated because I'm talking about the Old Testament when we're talking about giving. We're not only Old Covenant. No more Old Covenant. New Covenant, Chris. I would invite you to the book of Hebrews. Go read it. Then you can complain to me. So please follow me through Malachi from the Old Testament, from the Torah. Would have been part of the latter part for Paul when he called it scriptures. And you saw he already argued from it. So we're going to do the same. We're following Paul's rhetoric. It's the same form of argument from the same source of authority. Join me again in Malachi. This is chapter 3, verse 
7. Yet from the days of your fathers you've turned away from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you ask, how can we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Now, this is one of those places where I would love for you to, in your own scriptures, if this isn't a sin in your life, uh, to highlight or underline or in your app to tap it because the Lord is inviting us to test him. This is letter A under number two. Test me in this, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing without measure. So a quick revisit to last week. We talked about returning our gifts of talents. And we talked again where Jesus is reaffirming this very principle that when we give to God, he gives back to us. He blesses us. But we want to be super clear that I'm not saying, all right, everybody put some money in the plate and when you go home, yacht. Or when you go home, new four-wheeler. Or when you go home, Denali. That's not what the scripture says. Let's review really quickly. Um, I will open the windows of heaven and pour out for you a bigger bank account. Negative, negative. A blessing without measure. It's blessing, my friends, and that could be money. It does not say right here that it is money, however. So we want to be very clear that a prosperity gospel is one where when you hear the pastor talking, they say, give money to God so that, and they sort of turn him into this like cosmic vending machine. We don't, we don't believe that our God is that small. He's the Lord of hosts. He just said he was. He's not a cosmic vending machine, and we're not going to use him like one, but he does promise to bless us without measure. He says to test me in this. That's letter A. So my question for us, Georgetown, are we robbing God? Are we, are we withholding tithes or offerings from him that he says that we should be bringing? Are we hoarding the treasure that he's giving us. It's the whole thesis of the series, returning our gifts. If we're hoarding it, there's no way that we can be blessed. It's not possible. Imagine your hands like this. Now, I want to give you a blessing that is physical. How will you receive it? We have to be in the habit of returning our gifts. So are we building our own kingdom or are we building his kingdom? Are we looking like him as we become more of a giver, returning the gifts he gave us back to him? God offers a simple cure to the stingy Israelites, and he says that is letter A, to test him. I'm going to go on to verse 11. I will rebuke the devourer for you. We're getting letter B here. I'll rebuke 
the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your land, and the vine in your field will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of hosts. So if we're going to test God, so students in here, you have suffered that terrible time called finals. Uh, some of you may even be suffering those finals tomorrow and the next day. And the worst part of the suffering isn't when you sit down and write or fill in the bubble, but the worst part is when the teacher grades it. That's the part that's bad. So if we're going to test the Lord, now we're kind to the teacher, and he's the student, because we're going to see how he performs at what he's promised to do, which is to open the windows of heaven and bless without measure. So if we're going to give him a test, we have to grade it. We have to grade the test. That's letter B. Grade the test. Track it. Write it down. Maybe you need a booklet. Maybe you need an app. Maybe you need some way in your banking ledger, I don't know what sort of computer magic you're using, but maybe you need a little column that says tithe, gave, offered, gave some, returned some gifts. I do not care what you call it, but I'm encouraging you to grade the test. Like, actually test God. Because if you're just giving it and then going on to work and hoping that Christmas shoes comes on and that you just, like, feel something warm, like, that's not the test. That's not a test at all. I'm inviting you to track it. Write it down. Grade the test. Second Corinthians, Paul says this, and we'll be in Second Corinthians more after this so you can stay there. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. But whoever sows generously will also reap generously. We see this same principle affirmed in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, by the prophets, by Jesus, and by Paul. I'm going to go ahead and step out on a limb here and say, we can trust this principle. If we sow sparingly, we're going to reap what, Georgetown? What will we reap? Sparingly. If we sow generously, what are we going to reap, Georgetown? Generously. I'm not saying you're going to get a yacht. If you do, call me. I'm happy to go out there and make sure everything's working for you on the water, in the lake. It will be great. We are no longer under an Old Testament covenant. We are under a New Testament. We are under a new covenant. So we're no longer withheld at a 10% limit. We can give what God has put on our hearts to give. I would invite us to experience that kind of grace, but it requires us to ask, are we returning our treasures? Paul continues in this theme in 2 Corinthians. Number three is, Give cheerfully and not under pressure. Verse 7, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Paul is now quoting, this is in quotation marks, you can see it in your scriptures. He's quoting again, this would be from the wisdom. This is again from his scripture, the Torah. And so we see Paul's argument again from scriptures that we consider holy, but a covenant that Jesus has fulfilled. So it, this, is, this is such a difficult leap for me to make. And so many times I felt like a preacher preached on this, so I want to get it right. Because I felt like every time they preached on it, we would be over here on this platform and they would preach on it. And I would be not over here where everybody was getting it. I was like, Wiley Coyote. It wasn't working for me. I totally missed the leap, didn't get the point. It did not work for me. This word cheerfully is used one time in the New Testament, and the Greek word for it is hilarious. 
Now, you don't know anything more than you did before because you're like, should I be like laughing a lot while I give? This does not connect. It never connected for me. I think the connection, the appropriate connection is when something is hilarious, you're laughing. You're filled with happiness. LOL, but for real. When you're laughing and happy, you may be what's described as filled with joy. We need to be giving out of a heart that is characterized by that kind of a spirit. We do not need to be... So just understand that in contrast, if that doesn't do it for you, and I failed as every preacher before me did for me personally, then allow the contrast that Paul is using to speak to your hearts. Don't give reluctantly. We want to be giving with a deep, abiding, free-flowing, God is my provider, I'm a conduit, he gives, I return. He gives, I return. I'm going to be giving with a spirit. If I can't wait to see what God does with this, that I'm giving back. So A, letter A on number three is out of joy. We want to be giving out of joy. And letter B, we want to be giving not under pressure. Not under pressure. I think the best way to illustrate this is Paul himself. He says not to do it. Then he doesn't do it. Now, you may understand 2 Corinthians chapter 9 as a pressure situation, and it was not pressure because the Corinthians had already agreed to give. He was reminding. So where it sounds like there was pressure before he then says don't give under pressure, it's because they'd already agreed, and he was reminding them of something they had agreed to. Now, letter B is not under pressure. I think a great way to understand this is in his letter to Philemon, which is about a slave Onesimus who's being returned to Philemon. So to get that whole picture again, yes, it's a slave. No, we don't condone slavery. Slavery in America is not the slavery that was in ancient uh, Palestinian times. So please divorce the two because they do not go together. A servant or a slave at the time would be more like an indentured servant. One more time, I'm not endorsing slavery. All right, I have to say that a lot some. <clears throat> We're in Philemon chapter 1, verse 12. I am sending him, that's Onesimus, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart in the same letter. Paul calls Onesimus his son, just like he calls Timothy his son. I'm sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment. What for? For the gospel. Not because not Paul wants to have a Coca-Cola brought to him. Not because Paul would really like to have a medium rare steak cooked by the servant. But for the gospel, because why? Verse 14. I preferred to do nothing without your consent. I'm not under pressure. Let her be not under pressure. I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord, by your own choice, because you willingly decided to do it instead of my just keeping him and being like, do you love Jesus? Huh? 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 Good, I'm going to keep him. Not under compulsion. So Paul writes it and Paul lives it that we need to be giving out of joy and not under compulsion. Paul sent the servant back so that if Philemon chose to give, he could give, but he was not compelled to give. We're on number four. Do not lose your heavenly reward. Do not lose your heavenly reward. We're going to see here that we have heavenly rewards. 
That may be a new learning for some of us. That's okay. I learn new things all the time. Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew's recorded his words, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. So what Jesus is saying here, we have two choices. We have A and B. We have one and two. We have two choices. Those two choices are number one, to be seen by our friends, our family, our acquaintances, to be recognized as someone who is very charitable. I would love to be called a philanthropist. And like your list get, wrist gets limp and your finger goes out and you hold the cup a different way. Like I really think that maybe is what Jesus is talking about. But for sure what he's talking about is people who want to be seen giving. Do you know how you can do that? You can talk about your tax bracket and your tithing. That will tell people. Do you know how, she, how else you can do it? You can say, oh, I didn't, I wasn't able to get those stimulus checks, but uh, I'm just so happy to be able to tithe. Like, now you're telling people how much you made and that you're giving a minimum of 10%. There's a billion ways that we can brag. Ask me, my evil, wicked heart thinks of them all. Okay, we have to repent of that trash and get it out of our life and turn back to God and say, I want to be made like Jesus. I want to be made like you and reflect your image because I don't want to lose my heavenly reward. So Jesus tells us, Matt, this is uh, Matthew chapter 6, just continuing. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So there's a reward that is not able to be seen. You right now could argue that that isn't heavenly, but we're not done reading. Our reward can be from God. I would prefer that over the one where people see what I give. Would you? How about, how about you, George? You, do you guys want the one where people see you? Anybody? You raise your hand, just tell everybody you get a lot of money. Because then you'll have it right now, and everybody will see you, and be like, wow. But I don't want that. I want to reward this from God. Jesus continues teaching. This is Matthew chapter 6, recording in verse 19. He's writing these words. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust, or some translations, worm, destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. We have a couple of things to talk about here. Jesus challenges all of us who believe with a choice. Accumulate stuff here on earth, which rots, which rusts which can be stolen or return our gifts we've got a choice friends and we we lose our our we lose our heavenly reward when we do it to be seen i don't want to lose that reward i don't i don't want you my friends to lose that reward by i don't know maybe what you think is just accidentally mentioning that you give every sunday or you always be sure to give to this one mission what if that was your reward? What if your reward was just your friend knowing that you're a tither? That is actual garbage. 
That's your reward. That's your whole reward. As now they know and they think maybe better of you. Maybe they think you're just a braggadocious, mm, whatever it is that they think. Let's not lose our heavenly reward, friends. Jesus, I think another, I'm sorry, let's get letter B before I go on. Letter B, we can lose our heavenly reward by not at all returning our gifts. So if you just don't give at all, then you can lose your heavenly reward. Or if you store up on earth, you can lose your heavenly reward. The beauty of this passage, I think, is, and I think, yep, right here. Friends, wherever we're like piling up the treasure, that's where our heart is. In other words, if we're starting to return some of our gifts, and maybe for some of us it's just a baby step, and we're just going to give a dollar to something we believe in, that's going to turn our heart towards the kingdom of God and away from this material kingdom that's kind of earthly. It's not focused on Jesus. Let our hearts then be turned towards him as we return our gifts. Um, Abigail Sailors was a waitress in a Cracker Barrel in Nebraska. Uh, the 18-year-old waitress was waiting on a table of men who were interested in her story. You know how it is when they come to the table and you ask and they begin to share? And she began to share a story of how she grew up in foster homes, multiple. And her life was really hard and she had no support in that life. But she found a way to save enough money to go to North Dakota Bible College. And her first semester was everything she dreamed it would be. But she couldn't enroll in the second semester because she's a foster kid. She's on her own. She's gone to pursue a calling in ministry that she no longer could afford. The men were warmed in the heart, of course. I mean, Christmas shoes right here in front of you. And so they give her a $100 tip. Now, the beauty of the story is that we don't know how we found this out. But she tells us that when she went to pay her bill for the next semester, I'm sorry, when, when she went, okay, she found out from the bursar's office that the bill for the next semester that she couldn't go to was paid. So when she went to that bursar's office to say what on earth happened, she found out there was $1,000 waiting for her to cover her expenses. How exciting would it be to be able to give so generously that we could cover something like that, but also like double your money. You get a heavenly reward because you haven't done it for people to see it. It's done in secret. And so you get the reward of knowing that they're blessed and you get the reward of knowing that only your heavenly father has seen what you've done and he is going to bless you. And it's gonna be in a way that moth and rust cannot destroy. And Jesus says, that's in heaven. That's the kind of blessing that I want, friends. That's the kind of blessing I want for each of us. Number five, Christians have to keep this last essential in mind when we're returning our gift of treasure. Choose your master. Choose your master. Jesus, uh, again, Matthew recording his words, he's teaching no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and he'll despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. How do you know which one you're serving, though? Some of us have probably asked this question ourselves. Letter A is you can only love one master. For me, there's a, a worry test. I'm working on it, but there's a worry test. And for me, I just have to 
reflect for a minute, sometimes a second, what is it that I'm worried about right now? And if I'm most worried about money, like promises I've made to people I love, if I'm most worried about money, kind of starting to get out of balance a little bit, kind of starting to choose a master. And so my regular practice that could always be more regular, but my regular practice is, is to talk to a trusted friend about how I'm worrying about money. Confess, like, I'm trusting money instead of Jesus. And then I have to live a life of repentance, which looks like saying, God, I'm going to trust you. Help me to trust you, not the money that you give me. Help me to trust you alone. Friends, I don't know if that's something that needs to happen in your life today, but I would invite you to consider the possibility that you have got all of these other four essentials to keep in mind when you're returning your gifts. And in fact, you may be a regular giver. You may be a regular above and beyond an old covenant tithe. You may be giving far beyond 20%, but it's on autopilot. And it's ACH transferred. And that is beautiful. There's a heavenly reward. But what about when we see someone in need? Do we just, I'll just say I do, say I already have done my planned giving and it never has a chance to enter my heart. When Christmas shoes comes on, I just turn it off. Don't got time for that. Planned giving. I think planned giving is great. We should be planned givers. We should just say right up front, God, I trust you for what you're going to supply, and here is what I want to give. But I think that we also need to be reflecting. I think we need to be testing our own hearts, saying, who's the master? Who am I trusting? How is it that I'm living my life? And through what kind of heart am I giving? Am I giving through a joy-filled heart? Am I giving just because it's set up to auto-draft? How else would you know which one is your master. So here's a test that may be for someone who's not exactly a regular giver, you might say. But it's still a test to find out where is my heart on this master situation because you can only love one. And we have to choose our master. Paul's writing to Timothy. He says, for the love of money, this is the second time I would really encourage you to be writing in your own Bibles or highlighting in your app. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Love of money. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and they've pierced themselves with many pangs. So this is our second test to figure out who are we serving? Letter B is loving money leads to great pain. And this is not a fun test. But the money is not the one that's evil. It's, it's the love it's the love of the money. So here's a test for us. Are we loving it so much that we have walked away from the faith? Do you not have time to gather with believers regularly with whom you say that you believe, I am one body. I am a brother or a sister. We share the same sacrifice. We're atoned by the same blood of Jesus Christ and I am a part of that body. Are you so busy earning and making and investing and crushing it? Hashtag crushing it. That you can't 
gather with the body? Are you so, maybe are you so busy uh, chasing opportunity that you want to bless your family with maybe? Maybe it's not about your Denali. Maybe it's not about a yacht. Maybe it's about blessing your family, which is such a good thing. But are you so focused on blessing them so much that you're severing relationships? You're severing relationships that are life-giving, friends, family. I don't have time for that. I'm going to be working. There's our second test for this morning, friends. If you evaluate your life and you find that the love of money has begun to pierce you, that relationships that used to be important are no longer important, and you know they were life-giving. They pointed you back to Jesus, but they're no longer part of your life. That may be a wake-up call for you. Our pursuit of money is an indicator of who our master really is. Friends, even regular givers can grow a calloused heart in a great pursuit of providing for their family and can choose to serve a new master. Would you bow your heads? Father, your word says, we know the grace of the Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that we might, by his poverty, become rich. Father, if in our hearts you're detecting poverty, where there used to be riches because of our trust in Christ alone, would you bring us to repentance this morning? Father, if in our hearts you're detecting a callousness that's come from just a regular giving for a long time, auto-draft, taken care of, done, don't worry about it, would you be melting our hearts this morning for, for your glory? Would you be directing us to new ways that we can be open to how we can return our gift of treasure? Be that through a favorite mission organization, through someone who's in need, maybe through a food pantry. We want to see the hungry fed. Father, I don't know what you're laying on the hearts of so many this morning, but as your body, as those who gather in the name of your son Jesus in a season where we're celebrating your giving to us, it's our desire that you would see the very serious nature of each of our hearts as we turn them back to you and say, God, we want to return our gifts of time and talent and treasure. And we want to do that, that you would know that we believe you are our only provider, that in you only is hope found. Father, we pray this in the precious name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen. This morning, if you uh, have not made a decision to accept Christ as your Savior, I invite you to join me in the front. We can talk about what it means to live as a Christian, a believer, one of the saved and called out ones. This morning, if you need prayer for any of the things or things we didn't talk about, things we talked about, I would invite you to come this morning to pray with me in the front.